0: All right. So we uh, we're actually a little light compared to last time, but we're going to either hope they show up or figure we're just going to really bust it out next time. Right. But let's see. Last time we talked a lot about Genesis one, and I know that I probably brought up some things that were, I don't know, maybe a little different than what you would normally hear maybe not i mean just depends on where you've been what you've heard that kind of thing but i just want to start out with review a little bit ask a few questions see what stuck see what your thoughts were outside of that whatever but all about genesis 1 and once we get through a little review then we'll start working our way through genesis 2 okay so uh first of all just just a general question genesis 1 Is it fair to look back at Genesis 1 and say that it does give us some information about creation? What God created, how he created it, all that kind of stuff. Is that fair to say that that's true? Yeah, 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 of course it is. Now, because of everything we talked about, is that the only thing that it's trying to communicate to us? you're saying no okay awesome yeah and he didn't even finish the entire recording because it didn't work how about that <laughs> well all right so what else then is the text of Genesis 1 and uh, chapter 2 verse 3 or whatever what else is it trying to tell us or highlight for us or bring to the front Okay, man is important. Yep. Mike, you had something? Okay. Okay, very good. The presence of good. The presence of good. That is a good point. Because we often look, what do we say about man? He's just, he's awful. Nothing good about him. But when it started, this was all good, right? So that's a very good point, Jackie. What else? Is it trying to tell us? But I looked at uh that came to me was uh connecting the fact I love family history. Okay. But all of us, all men, go back to this story. This story is part of our all our family history. Right. It's the beginning of all men. Yeah. 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 So so it isn't just like family history, as in like close family or whatever. Where would we come from, or you know whatever? It's it's yeah, all mankind, and that we see God wanting this relationship with man. And here you'll hear me say this phrase a lot because it's going to end up being super important. God wants to be with man in creation. That's the beginning of the story. And I don't know how we'll ever get there, but that's the end of the story, right? How we work our way through the Bible is a question for another day, but that's the end of the story. It's very, very interesting. Okay. So what about the part where, remember we talked about the chiasms and all these different things pointing to a central point, and it was like the little treasure chest, and that was supposed to point us towards something. Do you remember any of that? What was the point of all that? Right, it's a poem. There's more behind the story. Yeah, one of the things we talked about is that the center... The, the thing that everything in the poem, the chiasm, everything is pointing toward, the idea of appointed times and appointed places. And that was the, the key word was when he makes the sun, moon, and stars and they're for seasons, right? That's Moed, that's the appointed times. And, and then we talked about Sabbath and how Sabbath it is an appointed time in like Israel's world, right? And it's the one that they do the most, not once a year, but call it 52 times a year or whatever. They're on a lunar, cal- or lunar calendar, so it's a little different. But So it was important that we saw God was saying not just that man was important and not just that he wanted relationship with man, but that relationship was defined in rest. Whatever that rest was. And we may have to learn, discover a little bit about what exactly Sabbath is, but God, that our relationship with Him, when it's perfected, it's a place of rest in Him. Now that doesn't mean no action, you know, all relaxation. That That's not what rest looks like in this context. But that, and that's the point that God, found value in us just because of who we are, not because of what we do, right? And that's all in that first chapter. Uh, Here's another thing. In that story, Genesis 1, who was the one who was actually evaluating or deciding whether or not something was good? God, okay? That's a good point. Who was the one in that first chapter that was naming things? God. Okay. See, these aren't trick questions. It's just they're they're important points for where we're going in chapter two. Uh, Here's another one. Not yet. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Remember, it's the 400 meter. So don't be sprinting. (laughs) No. Uh, So in that first chapter, what were some of the commands that God gave to man? It's an open book test. You guys are welcome to look all you want. Uh, We're not there yet. Right? Yeah, that's right. Be fruitful and multiply yep that's a big one and okay let's be honest this is a men's bible study right whenever you hear that everybody's going all right right that's that's good news be fruitful and multiply he also told that to all the animals and all that okay what else Uh, No, specifically for man. I mean, those are commands, to be sure. I get you. But commands for man. There's one more biggie. Something to do with our relationship to creation. To rule over. over. Yeah. Yeah. Rule and dominion. And we, we talked about that a little bit, just saying, look, this isn't like I'm the boss. Do what I say, Mr. Bear. (laughs) Have you ever told a bear what to do? Have you ever thought that you could, right? It's not that kind of rule. That rule and dominion is what God had already demonstrated up to that point. It was bringing order to the chaos, maintaining this thing that God had given to us. Ruling over it, having dominion over it was bringing it to its best place, right? We we don't care for animals just because they give us food. We care for animals because they are our charge, right? And same thing with even like the plants, the gardens, the forest, whatever, all those things. Now, we might look and go, man, sometimes you get those uh, people, like I call them tree huggers because I'm old, but you know, whatever, you get those people, they they seem to get a little crazy. You know, you can't, you can no longer make a living for your family or your entire community because of a snail darter, you know, when it's like, well, I'm sure we could have innovated and found a better way to do that and allowed man to continue, right? Somewhere in there though, there's there's a balance where we care for creation, actually make it better in the same way that God did. That is our rule and dominion. It's a command from God, okay? Now, uh, what's something else he did? He told us that we were in his image. What do you remember about that? What does it mean to be in his image? Oh, Right. You know, we are truly yeah. For sure. For sure. We are special. An artist, on an artist placing his signature on the painting. That's good. That's good. And, and, and rule, like he does, yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah, you brought up two really good points. Like like an artist signing his painting, his name is on us. What does that mean? Well, his name is his character, his reputation, his nature. It's like if somebody sent you, hey, I'm all tied up. I can't do this. Will you please go to this meeting? Represent me and take care of this thing because I can't go, they would be there in your name, right? And and everybody at the meeting would be looking at you as if you were me, or you know what I'm saying, you, whatever. It's a a great picture, so yeah. And and we, by displaying all of those attributes, compassion, mercy, justice, forgiveness, uh, uh, charity, all of those things, That is being in His image, right? There's there's sort of an inherent part wherein all of mankind is in His image. But if we're being honest, how many of them actually make you think of God when you see them? Really, really, really small numbers, right? But we, the faithful, loyal, believing ones, we're the ones that people ought to look at and go, man, I don't know. I mean, if this God thing is real, it, it's got to look something like that guy, right? That's, that's being in his image. Now, are we ever going to do it perfectly? No. But would it be easy to stand out from the rest of the world to be separate yeah, we could do that. And then we would be holy. Just like, remember my story about the cookies? Kim made cookies and kept a few out for me. They were holy unto me, right? We, chip. That's right, chocolate chip. We would be separate and holy, right? That would be a good thing. So final question. See, this is good. All of this stuff happened in week one. And and this is good because you can see you need to hear it over and over and over so it starts to really sink in really become a part of your thinking last question why did day seven have no end remember all the other day, all the other days there was there was a beginning and then an end day one beginning and end day two right why didn't day seven have that because it represented the ideal. This was the day in which man was supposed to live with God in that proper relationship. And we're gonna see that starting out in Genesis two, Adam and Eve, the garden, that whole thing. But then of course it all kind of falls apart. And that is when we think of uh, two things, there's the kingdom, We we talk about the kingdom in the New Testament a lot. And then there's also this idea of the world to come. Remember when it says heaven and earth will pass away, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. That world to come, that is the ultimate Sabbath. That's the day seven, if you will, right? The kingdom is very much like that, but it's a segue to that because the kingdom is still in this world. So, all right. That's a lot of stuff. I'm curious, you got any comments or questions? Does it feel like I just said a whole bunch of new things to you, or is it like, oh, no, no, it was all repeated, I just forgot till you said it. that I had not imagined prior to two weeks ago this morning. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of detail, uh, deep, deep stuff. in the, And here's a question, Jackie. Do you think I've covered it all? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but I'm pretty sure that I'm only scratching the surface, but we're going to go through it together. Right. Right. All through our life. We read the same words that he told them, plus, you know, the creation story. And and you always learn something new if you abide in him and, and really listen right. to ask questions like Oh yeah, that's so good. He we see in Jesus speaking to all the people, and and we know even his disciples that were around him all the time didn't understand. And thankfully we get some more of that detailed explanation behind the scenes and we know that there's just so much more yeah that's good right you know i had never thought about it quite like that before yeah yeah it's it's very interesting very interesting anybody else before we go on to chapter 2 cuz I, I don't know if everybody was here when i mentioned it we have no schedule we have no plan we have no predefined pace we're just going to go, and as far as we get is as far as we get, okay? Last chance. Well, in chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, do you remember we kind of spilled over last week? We did just those first few verses? Yeah, yeah that's day 7, yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't explicitly say that the day did not end. What we notice is that it's missing. There was morning and there was evening. The seventh day. Right. Yeah. And so from that, we're like, oh my gosh, that's. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing that you're going to find about the scriptures. As well, I shouldn't even say that. It's just what you're going to find about the scriptures. In America. In well. Let's call it like the Western world. We want just the answers. Give me the facts. Give me the list of details. Lay it out for me so I know what's happening, right? That's how we learn. It's how we do school, all of that. This culture, this day, this time, they didn't do that. What they wanted was to give you problems and questions so that you would think about them and and find the answer and i kind of feel like i said this recently but i don't remember if it was to this class you ever have one of your kids you could tell them something 10 times and one day they'll come home and share some great revelation that they've had right that you've told them 10 times and they heard it from a friend at school or a teacher or something like that and you're going what am i chopped liver i've been telling you this for years but all of a sudden They get it, right? That's the way your scriptures are written. They want you to get in there and meditate. Remember, David, meditate on your word all the day long, right? That's what we're to do, to find this stuff within. It's just filled with gold nuggets all over the place, right? So let's do this. Uh, We finished with Genesis 2. Chapter 2, verse 3. That was the end of the day of Sabbath, seventh day. So we're going to start in verse 4. It says, well, actually, you know what? How about one of you read it? Just just verse 4. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't that feel like whatever we just read in chapter one. These are the records of the heavens and the earth in the day that, right? So there is a question. Does that verse actually apply to what we just read or is it applying to what we're about to read? And trust me, nobody knows the answer. Everybody just argues about it, but it brings up a very interesting point. We just had a story about creation. And now we're going to have a story about what? Creation. (laughs) Yeah, except that it's really detailed. It has to do with man and all that kind of thing. Why are there two creation stories? He already said male and female created he them. Why are we doing this? Right? Ah, and the detail, and That was the only thing that I could garner chapter two. We start getting into the, detail the Yeah. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great perspective. Yeah. The, the first one was, and I've heard it stated this way, it's like the, the universal view, or almost like the heavenly view of this is how creation came to be. And now this one, the second one, This is much closer. It's down in the weeds. This is like creation's view of what's happening. And it also works as a segue into, hey, what exactly happened to day seven? (laughs) Right? So that'll be an interesting part as well. All right. You know what? I'm just going to walk down the line. Let's do it this way. I'm sorry. I'm going to get Todd and Frank out of order. But Frank, read verse five. Okay. All right. Now, interesting point. Go back to Genesis 1. What day was it that there were no trees, plants, etc. on the earth? look around like day 3 or 4 somewhere in there what do you see third day okay on the, so he just said he's kind of he, the, the text that's there is kind of lining us up with day 3 okay that's important and then it said there was a mist that watered the ground just so you know uh, I don't know what your translation says underneath that in the hebrew that would be something a little more like a spring. So, uh, I mean, we can all imagine if you've ever been out in an early morning when you've got a really thick dew or you know, like a a fog or or something like that, we can understand how that would water things for sure. But this is also kind of pointing to a spring and that's gonna be important later as well. All right. Uh, Anybody else have any thoughts or comments about verse five? All right, we're going to work our way down. Kim, could you read verses 5 and 6? Chapter, chapter 2. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just go ahead and read verse 6. Okay. Yeah. But there went up and from the earth and watered the whole face of the earth. That was 6? Oh, okay. Uh, my bad. I've got, I think I've got my notes messed up here. So here's a question. How do we know today, how do we know things get watered? How does it all work? By rain, yeah. And if we were in science class in grade school, they'd tell us it was the water cycle, right? We have evaporation and then we have rain and then we have fresh water, streams, lakes, etc., and they all work their way into the ocean and it all just keeps working its way around, right? So. Does it sound like that exists yet? Yeah. Yeah, it it seems different. Now, have you ever heard anyone tell you, oh, well, in the beginning, the earth was like a terrarium and it had this magic globe around it and that's, you know, it all just kind of stayed watered and then, you know, later after the flood, it turned into what we know now. Well, this is part of where they get that idea. Are they right? Who knows? I mean, could something like that have happened? Sure. But in what we're reading here, does it have to be that way? No, it doesn't. But I just want to point that out that, hey, that's another one of those little things where everyone reading this is supposed to go, that doesn't sound like the way it works today. Why is that different? Right? Anybody got any thoughts or comments on that? <clears throat> Philip gets a good one. Verse 7. Adonai, he the man of the yeah. Okay. Now, this is going to get weird. I'm just warning you in advance. But... First of all, he forms man, and the name that the, the the word that's used here is Adam, in Hebrew. Obviously, that sounds like Adam, right? But it's important to know that that word is the Hebrew word for mankind. So his name, being Adam, isn't really like the original intent. If you know what i'm saying god formed and then let's just say man as in you know this this new creature of type mankind you know what i'm saying so he does that that's an important thing but then he breathes life into him and this is so important because what we're going to see is well here let me ask this question do you think that all of the animals have a breath of life in them. Yeah, they're living. So yeah, they do. But something very interesting happens here. And and again, this is one of those things. I don't like doing this too much because we don't all of us have all the tools together and it feels a little weird. But what you're going to find is that there's two words that are being used in the Old Testament to talk about this breath of life one of them and it doesn't you don't have to remember them but it's very interesting one of them is nefesh and that word means something like your your uh, how do I boy it's hard to even express it in English your living being and so it's easy for us to think about a nefesh and go, well, I, and in the, the way that they would talk about it, like back 3,500 years ago, is like, I have nefesh, right? If somebody slipped my throat and my blood spilled on the ground, I have lost my nefesh. I no longer have it. I had life, but I no longer do. And blood was like the ultimate representative of that life. Okay, that'll make sense when we get to the tabernacle and all of that, right? But animals have a nefesh because they are alive and yet they die, right? They have life in them and it's represented in the blood. But the other word they use is neshama, different word, and it represents like, uh, I guess it'd probably be best for us to talk about it like an immortal soul. Okay. So there's, there's a part of us, and that probably doesn't sound too weird to you because, I mean, we all imagine that. That's the immortal soul. So right here, what Philip just read, when he says breath of life, the word that's used here is neshama. The second word, and so we have life in the same way that animals have life. We all have that, but humans. Now we see another thing that makes them special. They have the neshama, that immortal spirit or immortal soul, heavenly soul. I've heard it called all kinds of things, right? So that is an important image for you to see in there. Now, comments, questions. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Scripture, God breathed life, Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe this will help a little bit. When we talk about the scriptures, okay, again, we're going to go back and, well, how did they look at it way, way back when? The first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy, they were called different things like the books of moses or the torah or sometimes they called it the law different things like that now we know that all scripture all scriptures equally valuable valid you know all that we get that but have you ever heard that phrase first among equals they often use it for like when you have a, a church that has elders that lead the church And maybe there's one who is like the teaching pastor or something like that. And they would say that he is a first among equals. Right. there's there's a preeminence. Even in the midst of the equality, if that kind of makes sense, kind of weird. Well, the Torah, the first five books, they are elevated in the eyes of Israel. All scripture is is awesome. But there's something special about the first five books. Well, what is that special thing? It's that God spoke directly to Moses, giving all of this information, and that all of the rest of Scripture hangs on the first five books. That's the way they saw it. And and as we study and as we go, you're going to find, you know what? There's a little something to that. that. That actually, that's important to see something really good there uh, and so what the point I was getting to Todd is to say <clears throat> the same way that they believe there is a or we believe even there is a heavenly tabernacle and the one that was on earth was just a copy right and, and right we could go down the list there are heaven excuse me heavenly things and then earthly things that are just a copy like oh I don't know man By the way we're in the image of god we're a pattern of something that's in heaven which also another point why is man not allowed to make idols of god because we are an idol of god we are in his image god doesn't want us to make any others because he already made us right it's an important thing but now I've, I've gone off on a tangent and I forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, the heavenly, uh, the, the other belief is that there is a heavenly Torah. And, and what they mean by that is, if you could somehow bottle up God's thinking, God's nature, God's character, all that kind of stuff, what would it look like? They would say, oh, well, that's heavenly Torah. Those are the guiding principles in the heavenlies. So our Torah is a copy of that. It's a pattern like that, you know? And so they would look at it and say, yeah, it has life. In fact, in in a way, it represents even eternal life. And so our scriptures are alive. They do have breath. He breathed them, right? Right. So yeah, that's, that's great imagery to see in this stuff. So, all right, threw a lot at you. Where are we at? Anybody, anything else uh, up to verse seven? All right, Jackie, verse eight. Okay, couple of interesting things. Would you say that Eden and the garden are the same thing, or that the garden is merely a part of Eden? Feels like it might just be a part of it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting that they said it that way. He planted a garden in Eden, not he planted a garden and called it Eden, right? This is going to be very important because there are going to be many things throughout the scriptures as we go that represent eternal life. Eden is one of those things. So the garden is only a part of Eden, right? It's just an interesting thing to see. And then something else, did God form Adam out of the earth of of like this earth or the the dirt in Eden or the dirt in the garden or... What does it say? What is it actually telling us there? (laughs) Right. The dust of what? The dust from where? Which ground? (laughs) Right. Right. And now, what do you think? I mean, if you had to guess, what would you say? Okay. You think the ground of Eden? Maybe. Yeah. But Eden comes after that. Yeah, the next first. So I would think um aware, but not necessarily. Right. Yeah. But if you look the he planted a garden in Eden, Eden was already there. We just didn't know Right. And then what'd he do? He he placed the man in the yeah 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 so i look at it and these are questions i don't know that we can have the answers to but this is all we're doing is we are plumbing the depths of the scripture together and and we're just asking a lot of questions i look at it and i think of it this way look creation is a really 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 big part of this story the fact that god wants to dwell with man in creation is a really really big part of the story It seems important that man is in every way attached, connected to creation. So it seems like it needs to be the dust of the ground of this earth, right? But do you see how someone could be reading that and come up with different ideas, even scary, weird ideas, right? So we need to use... Our brains we need to be really careful as we read through and use good logic to get to where we're going uh, now he was formed this much we do know Adam was formed outside of the garden he wasn't formed in the garden so if you have a mental movie of what this all looks like you know a lot of people think that oh God's in the garden there's all this stuff around and he's forming man uh, man was formed outside the garden and he was placed in it. Is that important? I don't know. But it's probably important for us to notice it so that someday when we read something else, we're going to go. That makes sense. Adam was formed outside the garden and then he was placed in it. Right? Very interesting. And also, this is also important because God puts some things in more than one instance, and it 's a different word in your English, it probably says "put both times, but this first time, when it says he put them there, the word carries with it this idea that that the garden was made for man, and man was made for the garden there was a uh, there was an intention like like somehow. They belonged together, okay? And the, the, the other one, when we get there, we'll talk about it. It doesn't mean that. It's very different. So that's kind of an interesting picture that you wouldn't normally see. Uh, well, it's... Uh, anybody else? Comments or questions? All right. Where are we at? Mike, you going to do verse 9? Oh boy. Now we're getting into the story, right? But I just want to remind you of something. What day was it that he created all the trees and plants and all the kind of stuff in the first story? Yeah. And what day was it that he created man in the first story? Six, six. Yeah. So what's going on in this story? He created man and then he starts creating a bunch of other trees and plants because he said that they hadn't grown already before. If you try to take this second creation story and make it make sense with the first story, do you have any hope of success? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and that is, that's an important way to look at it. That, hey, this is a separate story, which goes back to the point. You can't look at these two stories and think they're somehow the same thing. These are very different. You can't, you can't line them up. They don't, they don't match. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. But then that is going to raise the question though. Well, okay, so they're different. They don't go together necessarily, but h- how do they work? I mean, if day 6 God created male and female, what's this story? I mean, is like this story supposed to be before it in time or after it in time or I mean, are we even supposed to relate them that way? What right what's going on? Or is it during the Sabbath? After? During? Right? These are these are hard questions. Do we know the answers to all of our questions? No. But it's really important to ask them because somewhere along the way you're going to learn something. And then you're going to learn a little more something. And then a little more something. And, after a while, you're going to have a whole bunch of some things that you've learned. And then when you go back and read again, you are going to have some answers to some questions. And you're going to have even more new questions, right? But all of this, why is that good? Why is it good to have all these questions and, and dig into this the way that we're doing? What's the point? What's the value? growing in our relationship with God, right? Yeah, what else? How, or, or what do you mean by growing? More aware of who we are. More aware of who we are in him. Good. What else? A really important one related to what Todd just said. We become much more aware of who he is right this is so important we have all of us some mental image of who god is is it right i don't know (laughs) i don't know what's in your head but this is going to help us form it it's it's detail it's color i like to say it this way because a Well, I would think everyone in this room would remember this. Imagine a 13-inch black and white TV versus a 120-inch 8K massive TV of today, right? If your image of God is anything like that little 13-inch black and white, reading this and asking all of these questions and having these discussions, That's taking you to an image of God that's like the 120-inch 8K display, right? Filled with, and we may as well throw in, you know, theater sound and, you know, all of that stuff, right? I mean, this this is how we grow to know Him. So it's important stuff, important stuff. Um, Now, this next section is going to be really big, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and let somebody read the whole thing. But before we do, uh, well, it's not really big. I was exaggerating. It's, it's just not a single verse. Let's say it that way. But before we do, anybody comments or questions before we do this next little bit? All right. Uh, where are we? Are we on you, David? Yeah? All right. I, I think we're going to we're going to not get to Terry today. You disappointed in that? <laughs> we could split it up. David, uh, I need you to read verses 10 through 14. Okay. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. You do whatever you want, man. The third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Yeah. Okay, so the first question I have for you, up to verse 9, you know, we had some, some introduction, we were like setting the scene, doing all this stuff, and we got to that really important part, which actually, you know what? We didn't even talk about everything in verse 9. I'm going to go back because I feel like anybody that's going to listen to this recording or whatever, we've missed all the good stuff. So in verse nine, it says that he created all sorts of trees, trees with seed and then producing fruit, all that kind of stuff. And anybody know what they were for? Food, right? That's right. But then after it says he created all these trees, it tries to make a special point. And it says, oh, but in the middle of the garden or in the midst of the garden, what, you know, however your translation says it, there was a special tree, a tree of life. And we don't know anything about it yet, but that tree was there. And then it adds one more little, little trailing bit of information. Oh, and there was also that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Almost throws it in like an afterthought you can't even tell for certain if the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was it in the middle too i mean it's like the 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 lingo the language it's like okay i know the tree of life was in the middle of the garden and i know there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil and it kind of looks like it was also in the middle of the garden but the way it's thrown in there you can't even tell that for sure right what's that about and then we'll have these questions, okay? So what is the tree of life all about? What is it for? What is the tree of knowledge of good and evil all about? What is it for, right? And we don't have the answers, but then all of a sudden we start talking about these rivers and do what? What is that even doing in there? Why is it there? But I do wanna ask this question before we make any attempt at answering that, When it says the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, let me say it this way. What do you think that means? free will okay that's a really good answer what do you mean by it your choice Choice of for what evil? okay actually yeah you know what you are hitting right on it that's really good that's really good anybody else I, I'm gonna try to explain that a little bit as we but anybody else thoughts <laughs> huh. we, have a conscience. we have a conscience okay are you saying that we have one before we eat of that tree or we have one because we eat of that tree? <laughs> I don't know either, right? That's a, hard, that's a hard one, right? Yeah. Hey, Let me ask this question. We know we aren't there yet, but we know we're talking about Adam and Eve and we know that God has given them commands, be fruitful and multiply, rule, have dominion. And at some point he's going to tell them, hey, don't eat from the tree, right? Do you think that Adam or Adam and Eve do not know the difference between good and evil before eating from this tree? Probably OK, now, I totally understand that answer, but let's follow it out a little bit. Let's say you're a parent and you have a child. And I don't know, let's, let's say that in some sense, let, let's say there's some sort of mental disability and they are incapable of knowing the difference between good and evil. And then you as a parent give them commands and if they don't follow them, you punish them. Is there anything about that that seems right and fair and good? Right. That would be awful, right? So would God put a tree in the garden, tell us we can't eat from it, punish us if we do, and we don't even have the ability to know right from wrong, good from bad? That doesn't make any sense. That would make God capricious. That's a horrible word. In this case, right? That that would be bad. So There's something about this tree, this knowledge of good and evil that can't be they had no idea what right and wrong was in any sense whatsoever, but eating of the tree gave them that. Well, it can't be that. You can't give people rules or or instructions with that. So we've got something to discover about this tree. So we know there's a tree of life. We know there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, but we don't really know what they're about yet. We're hoping to discover something. Now, back to the rivers. Well, anybody got any comments or questions on that before we get to the rivers? Yes, Philip. Yes? We knew that everything was good up until this point. was introduced through the tree. Okay. And this is going to be so good. So, so far. Has God called anything not good? Up to verse nine. He hasn't yet. It's very interesting. I'm not disagreeing with you at all, Philip, but it's interesting that God hasn't said that yet. And that actually adds to what are we going to discover about this tree? If I could make a side point also, when I say the words good and evil, do you automatically go to like moral good and moral evil? Yeah, we all do. That's English. And and I think it's important that you also understand it would probably be better if you thought of the name of the tree as something like the tree of the knowledge of good and bad or the tree of the knowledge of good and not good right it isn't limited to moral evil just throwing that out there could be important as we continue to read <laughs> okay uh, but oh these are good good points you guys are you're making this great so any other comments questions just envision this tree when it says that Lord God uh, put every tree pleasing in appearance good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. And so, if every tree was pleasing, as well as there may have been something attractive about both trees. Oh, yeah, picture you've seen two trees grow together, right. Yeah. So they have been intertwined in some way with right. distinctive fruits. Yeah. Interesting. I made it more hard to discern which tree was which it was which? I don't know. Yeah. I well, the, and you know what? That's good. Having that kind of uh, uh, imagination while you're reading, gosh, I could it have looked like this or could it have been that? You know, the trees intertwined, or you know, where those are great questions. And the, the thing that you, you don't want to do is walk around going, hey, I have this idea. These two trees are intertwined. So when you read the Bible, you need to read it that way. Right. Well, okay, maybe, but maybe not. How about, you know, you stick with, I don't know. I wonder about this. That, that's great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Anybody else? Comments or questions? Yeah. So I always just kind of thought about it as there's, God is creating an opportunity for man to choose. Yeah, yeah. So you said God doesn't create evil. Now, we haven't discovered that so far in our reading. Of course, we're not even two chapters through our Bible. But is that something, uh, is that, something that you know of through Scripture? Or is that something that you know of through... Tradition. My first answer probably would be tradition. But I think that goes back to where God breathed in us His Mm -hmm. life, which I think is kind of like His moral law. Yeah. So uh, so I'm saying tradition, but I I think if I studied on it, I bet I could come up with some verses to back me yeah oh yeah yeah and i am not disagreeing with you in any way i'm just i'm just picking on purpose it's also going to raise the question of what exactly do we mean by evil and maybe i shouldn't even say it that way what exactly does the bible mean when it's talking about evil this is a really big question Right? Isn't that a great question? Did evil already exist? Is God creating it here? Does this relate to Satan and his fall and all? These are great questions, and for sure, in the text, we have no idea yet. Right? There's nothing yet because we're so early on. But even all of those things, those are really good questions, and we need to we need to hold those loosely and and Read and look around and see what more we can figure out about. But that's great, Mike. Uh, Anybody else? Anything else? All right. Where are we at on time? I left my phone over here. Hold on. All right. I leave it up to you guys. Do you want to cut now? Or Do you want me to give you the little bit I have on the rivers? And then we pick up after the rivers next time we got it. All right, we have multiple votes for let's get through the river. All right, here's what I want you to maybe just write down some notes. We won't read all this thing thoroughly through. Uh, First of all, these show up and it's like so odd. Why are these even here? We were just felt like getting to the really good part of the story. Now we've got this weird little aside telling us about these rivers and, spoiler alert, they don't really come up again. They're just here and not really anywhere else. What do we do with that? So we want to look at a couple of things. If you'll notice, when it talked about those rivers, it talked about it bringing life. It was the source of of life like for the plants and different things like that, right? You also notice that uh, in the beginning there was a, a mist or a spring that watered the ground. Oh, where did these rivers come from? Maybe that spring was the source or whatever, right? But I want to associate this with just a couple of things. If you were to look at Revelation chapter 22 verses 1 and 2, you would find out that There was a river of life. It's actually a river of the water of life. Very interesting. That's talked about flowing from the throne of God. And do you remember how I said that Eden represented eternal life? That was an important thing. What does the throne of God represent? I mean, other than authority and rule and all that, what does the throne of God represent? eternal life so you've got a river flowing from these two things that sort of represent eternal life that's kind of interesting ezekiel chapter 47 verses 1 through 12 i believe it is yeah i think that's how far it goes this is a story in ezekiel about water flowing from the temple Now, the temple, just sort of as a general thing, represents God dwelling with man. That's another representation of that. And because God is life, the temple represents life, if if you sort of get the connection there. If we worked a little further into the temple, the tabernacle, You've got like the outer court, you've got the holy place, and then you've got the holy of holies, where God actually is. And according to the book of Hebrews, the outer court, the holy place, those represent this world and this age. But the holy of holies, that central place where God is, that represents the world to come. Right? So again, we have this idea of the temple. As a symbol or a representation of eternal life. So you've got Eden, you've got God's throne, you've got the temple, and all of them have rivers flowing from them, rivers that bring life. Okay? That's kind of interesting. I think I have a couple more. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8: On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem. Okay? Now, we don't often think of Jerusalem as like, you know, I mean, we know that it's special. God selected it, all of that kind of stuff. But we normally don't associate that with eternal life. However, in the big story, if you think of Israel as the conduit through which God is going to save all of creation, that's how he chose to do it. Abraham, sons of Abraham, all of that that sort of definition and you look at jerusalem as their city or you think of the new jerusalem that comes down out of heaven in the world to come right so in in that sense jerusalem again represents eternal life okay so again rivers flowing from it and then uh, psalm 46 verse 4. And then it it just says this, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. That connects with Jerusalem, the, the holy habitation, the city of God, right? And streams, there's a river whose streams make glad the city, right? So all I'm pointing out is that this weird little aside, this like extra tiny story thrown in the midst of the story we thought we were reading, seems to be laying the foundation for this whole idea of there is life with God. Where God dwells, there is life. It flows like a river, right? And so, in that sense, we we now go, okay, now we've got Eden, we've got this garden in Eden, and and the thing that we're trying to piece together is, well, I don't know, it's like, we've got this idea that there's a Sabbath, this wonderful place of rest, you know, in communion with God, and, and we're in this place where life just flows from it like a river, and that's where Adam is, and right? So it's, it's enhancing your image. It's part of taking you from the 13-inch black and white to the 120-inch 8K, right? And that, it may not be the full explanation of why is that story even there, but at least it gives us a little something that we can grab and say, okay, all right, at least there's some reason for it to be telling me about that. Maybe I'll learn more as I grow older. You know, when I grow up (laughs) or whatever, right? So that's all I had about that. Um, I did have one extra little, let me just read what I wrote here real quick. Okay, I'm just going to read it out loud because I don't even know what my point was. The Hebrew word Eden means delight and pleasure. And it is symbolic of the ultimate source of all delight and pleasure, which is God, of course. This godly delight is then channeled into our world by way of the river that flows from Eden and becomes the source for all worldly pleasures. The river splits into four heads, symbolizing the four cardinal directions, north, south, east, east, and west, although we don't really know from the description which way they flowed or if that even makes any sense, but it's sort of a symbolic representation through which the rivers travel, which it's just a way of saying it goes into all of the world. That's all that's about. Um, And then, you know, there are a lot of people that think, well, you know, we know about the Tigris and the Euphrates and we can guess what maybe the other rivers were. And, you know, maybe it's outlining some boundaries of where Eden was or something. True or false? I don't know. But, you know, people, they, they think about all sorts of things. But that's all the stuff that I had on those rivers for now. You guys uh, are welcome to comment, question, whatever. What do you think about those uh, about those rivers now? So just rivers and life. just think of Jesus and the woman at the well. Oh. The woman at the well. Yeah, good one. Good one. Woman at the well. Yeah. There was another uh, Jesus moment when he stood up. It was in the middle of a festival uh, that they had this special ceremony where they would pour water because they were praying that God would bring water for this, you know, the upcoming crops and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus stands up in the middle of this festival and this particular, uh, what do you call that, uh, ritual or whatever they were doing. And he says, I am. You know, the, the living water, right? And it's, it's, yeah, very good. But he, and see, th- think of how good that is. Now when you read about Jesus and you read something about him and water, turning even the water to wine or just whatever it might be, you're going back, oh yeah, waters of life coming from God, the throne. It's the whole earth, right? All of those images start to, to mesh together for you and it enriches your view. What else? Yeah, he did. History teacher, geography teacher or something. Okay. Physical geography and human geography. What's that? Yeah. That's what everybody understands. Oh, the human imprint on the physical world. Yeah, God gave it all. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So when your kid comes home and says, I hate geography, you can just let them know, hey, God gave us that. Straighten up and fly right, young whippersnapper. Yeah, yeah. I sounded like not even my parents, people older than my parents. (laughs) Yeah, anything else? All right. In the words of uh, who was that gladiator? Are you not entertained? <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and stop there then, because uh, I don't know. We didn't make it far in the number of verses, but it sure feels like we made it far in uh, detail.